Today we have Kiva Stratton, a much sought after brand strategist, creative and researcher. Kiva is the director of Quip Brands and has practiced communicating through language, film and even law studies. Kiva provides a unique insight into understanding audiences by looking at behavioral patterns and helps companies give love to their branding. Kiva, welcome to the show. Thanks, Will. It's really exciting to be here and I'm interested to see how our chat will go. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Kiva, as I understand, you are an expert with brand creativity and all those kind of things. Yes. I've worked for the last 10 years as a a brand strategist. My own company, obviously, Quip Brands, focuses very much on strategic brand development. Prior to that, I did work in advertising and I've worked in sound and done all kinds of crazy things. So, yeah, at the moment, that seems to be the focus. And I was reading an article yesterday which said branding could be the most important thing in the next decade for brands. So that's kind of got me excited. Interesting. Tell me more. And how does a company go about building a brand? So often what happens is obviously people have a great business idea and a business idea is obviously a critical step to any business, hopefully. And hopefully that comes with an audience that has some desire for that product or service. But what's going to make me choose that particular brand or that particular service over the competition Mm. is actually their brand persona, the way they engage me as a consumer, whether or not I feel that their values align to who I am. So as a brand strategist, what we do is it's very much going deep into the personality of the business, finding out who they are what they represent, what are their values, what is their style. So, you know, are they someone who's a bit funny or a bit lighthearted or is this a very serious and and authentic, um, sorry, is it a very serious and, you know, credible brand? Yeah, so if I'm hearing you correctly, basically the brand of a company is sort of like an image. we We can almost think of it as kind of like a third person. Absolutely. Jeff Bezos said it really well when he said, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I love that analogy because it's essentially you can create an advertising campaign and you can feed a person a message or you can build a a PR strategy and you can have important people recommend you or, or important papers or put that kind of credible reference or you can build a really kind of expensive promotional strategy where you're seen a lot. But unless people know who you are and connect with that, it's Mm. it's just wasted money. And so often what happens is people follow trends. And when you follow trends, it it might be something that seems like the right thing to do in terms of style and look. But if it's not true to who you are, your brand will ultimately fall down. So the best brands are just really confident in themselves. They know who they are. They know why they exist. They know which archetype of brand they fit into, which obviously goes back to Carl Jung's 12 archetypes of branding. Gosh, <laughs> starting to sound like a real nerd here, but <laughs> forgive me that. We know I am. And these foundations, like a, a person, because ultimately people connect with people. If you can create a brand that feels very human, then people will connect with it. Okay. I want to circle back to what you said about being true to yourself. Ultimately, if you're not true to yourself, your brand will collapse. Well, whenever brands step outside of who they truly are, they risk losing the audience that is loyal to them, Hmm. the one that they deeply engage. Often when we're chasing a wider audience, we forget about the ones that are already loyal to us. And, And that can be a real problem, you see, because they're already engaged, they're committed, and they've got loyalty to the brand, which is ultimately what you're after. So if your audience happens to be 45 to 65 year old women, 
going in there and speaking a young person's language or being edgy because that's cool <laughs> or just being off-brand as we call it, mm. you actually risk doing real damage because those younger people are probably going to see you as an old person's brand anyway or older person. I'm in my 40s now. So I'm just, <laughs> let's not, you know, <laughs> an older person's brand. And they're going to see... They're not going to engage, but you also risk losing the loyalty of the people that you've already got engaged because they're like, oh, they don't want me anymore. I don't relate to this. This isn't reflecting my values. And I think, you know, there's, say, a growing concern around purpose at the moment. Purpose is a fantastic thing. And it's great to see all these businesses doing things with purpose and not just for profit, but, you know, for profit and for purpose. It's a wonderful ideal. But unfortunately, there's always going to be people that break that trust. And Mm. when that happens, I think there's a skepticism around any brand that puts out that kind of promise. So branding is a cultural relationship and, and it is something that people do connect with emotionally. It's something they feel loyal to. Often, I mean, it creates a tribalism that people wear Literally on their sleeve, if you ever talk to someone who's Holden or Ford, you'll understand that that's a rivalry that has deep... I'm not a car person. I don't know why I always speak about cars because I really am not a car person. But if, you know, you talk to a Holden person about like, hey, would you like to buy a Ford? You might have a very... Yeah. <laughs> Serious reaction. Whereas, in, and likewise, you're either a Mac person or you're a, a PC kind of person, a Samsung or a, you know, you're, you're in the HP scenario. Like people do passionately defend brands and they become very tribal about brands. Skincare and makeup are probably the only areas of branding where I see people just chop and change, chop and change. <laughs> you know, if they find something that works, obviously they're very loyal to it, but you just have to look inside a woman's makeup bag to see that you will never... I challenge the world to find a makeup <laughs> bag where every single piece of makeup is from the same <laughs> brand. It just doesn't happen. It's, you know, oh, this is the best mascara, it has to be Dior or lipsticks have to be Chanel or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's a classic example of of where brand loyalty doesn't quite exist in that pure form. So would you say that if you're selling a product that's not expensive, then brand doesn't really matter as much or kind of not as much as Ford or Apple, for example? I think that it's a different strategy. So if you're selling, for instance, a face mask and it's a $10 face mask, Mm. hypothetically. So we're talking about a low consumer spend and we're talking about something that is very much based on trends and, you know, the competitors would be a wide ranging price. So you might be able to get a $2 Korean mask or a $130 SK2 mask, hypothetically. But the $10 face mask is not competing with SK2, let's be honest. The Mm. women that are buying that are a totally different audience. So with something like that, it's about creating a brand that's really bold and attention grabbing so that you can monetize the trend as much as possible while people are doing that. Because history tells us that beauty changes very rapidly and it might be that you are establishing your brand as the best quality but affordable skincare. So the face mask might be the first thing that enters the market. And if you create that brand trust that, okay, yeah, it's only $10, but it's a good product, then obviously it becomes easier when you decide, okay, we're going to do eye creams. People go, oh, yeah, I like that that brand for that, so I'll, I'll keep purchasing. But if someone else comes in with a bolder brand and says, well, yeah, look, if you liked that brand, we're even better, then you've got an issue because it's a trend-based brand. It's lower cost. It's a lot easier for me to go, you know what, I'll buy two of their masks, but I might just try this other one as well. Mm. And then 
I'm having a new customer experience because I'm experiencing a new brand promise that might be using some new cream or technology or something that, and suddenly I'm going, oh, yeah, know, this is ceramide. This is amazing. <laughs> I um, get your point. Yeah, so it's it's a lot harder to maintain a brand loyalty in that regard because it becomes old and these are, are new things. They're things that people want to have the latest of or, or, you know, the trend. So you've got to evolve your brand if you want to maintain your market in that yeah. situation. And it's a lot more tactical in terms of how you would maintain that brand. But if you were looking at a startup and they were, you know, someone who was trying to establish their technology or their idea very quickly, then, you know, it's really about the founders form a lot of the brand because they're mm. the core reason why people might choose that. So there's a, a more of a PR kind of focus that you would have on your branding because it's really about get to know the founders and once you trust these founders, you're going to trust what we offer is going to be fantastic. So it's a bit like the Elon Musks of the world. Yeah. You know, Elon Musk, is he's got a certain brand. It's not necessarily a perfect brand, but he's got a brand where people would go, this is the person who's a future thinker, who's willing to be bold and daring and try different things. So the reason why people would buy a Tesla, for instance, is a very, you know, there's other electric cars on the market. I was reading an article the other day, 12 electric cars are coming into the Australian market this mm. year from a variety of brands. But Tesla has a different image to other brands that would be competing in this space because they're already established car brands offering an electric car version, whereas Tesla is the original, you know, the OG of electric yeah. cars. And this is a guy that's shooting things into space and, and, you know, is a bit wild and a bit crazy. And it's a bit like the DeLorean. I don't know if Back to the Future is well <laughs> beyond this generation, but that's the kind of cool factor that a Tesla has. And, and you know, that's what people are buying into. And we'll spend tens of thousands of dollars to have that. So for someone who's starting out their business and may not necessarily know what sort of a brand persona they want to develop yet, what does that exactly look like? Hopefully your business is going to solve a problem. That's, hmm. you know, the aim of any good business. And that problem doesn't have to be a great problem, but in solving that problem, that's where you create an audience that has a need. So what we need to do is who are you solving this problem for? Hmm. What is the need that you are fulfilling for them? That is the first place to start. So often what happens is people think about a target audience as the people they would like to connect with. I love women over 35. They are a great audience. I've read some data and they've got lots of disposable income. And what a great audience. Let's capture that audience. But if your business doesn't actually solve a problem for women over 35, you're not going to capture that <laughs> audience. There's no point. So I think that the first question you have to ask yourself is, what problem are we solving and for who? Who is the decision maker that's going to, you know, really be the one that's going to agree to spend or not? I had a client many, many, many years ago who was in insurance for trucks and large vehicles. And all of their brand had been targeted towards men because it is men predominantly that drive trucks and it was a very manly, masculine <laughs> brand. But what they didn't realise is that most truck owners or, or small businesses that engage a small fleet of trucks, it's the woman that actually, the, the wife that works in the office or the, a woman that is essentially deciding, well, who is my insurance Mm. going to be. So by creating this very male, masculine persona and not engaging women at all, they were missing the decision-making audience for that product. 
So, yes, the, the need and the problem that was being solved was to protect the truck, but it's like, well, who is the one who's practically going to be making that decision? So, yeah, and when they shifted their their brand to actually engage women and think about the things that would be their concern, price, trust, obviously they want their husbands to be safe on the road, all of that kind of thing, then they could really actually shift their engagement. Yeah, absolutely. So if I'm hearing you right, it's predominantly when you're starting off as a business and you're thinking about what sort of brand identity you're going to develop, it's first and foremost understanding you're solving the problem for and who is the decision maker. Yeah, so you start with who, obviously, who are we solving a problem for? And that's who the brand has to appeal to. And then how do we as a company relate to that particular audience? So, you know, it has to be authentic to who you are as a company, but it really does have to deeply engage that audience in terms of messaging, in terms of how you frame your branding, in terms of the colors you choose, the look, the feel. Otherwise, you're just going to have a disconnect with audience. So once you've determined, you know, who you're solving, what problem you solve and who you're solving it for, then you want to look at who else is attempting to solve that problem and what Mm. makes you the same as them and what makes you different from them because that's where you're going to find your place in the market. So there's no point going out and deciding, you know what, I'm going to go and offer a service that is completely like this other service and I'm going to brand myself exactly like that service <laughs> and he's hoping that we get the audience too. Like it, it doesn't work like that. You do need to have a point of difference. You need to come into the market with something that people are going to say, hey, there's a need that hasn't been met yet and there's a promise here that that need is going to be met. So we suggest obviously spending an awful lot of time getting to know your target audience, the people that are actually going to buy, not the ones that are you like <laughs> to target to. I don't know. Everyone has this kind of picture of audience, but we live in these little filter bubbles, which basically mean that we start to believe that the world sees everything as we do, which is so incorrect. And I think one of the key things for any business I'd recommend is once you know who your audience is, go and actually spend some time with them. You know, go mm. where they eat, go where they shop, go and, and live in their shoes. You know, a lot of young startups in particular are targeting audiences that they probably don't have an awful lot of day-to-day experience with. It might be, you know, mothers with, with three children who are – life is very different from a, a 21-year-old student versus a mother with three kids who's, you know, battling different things. Mm. I think we're very city-centric. We, we sit inside a physical bubble where – you know, we start to think that the whole world's problems exist exactly as the problems we face, whether it's, you know, the commute to work or whatever it might be. We are now living in this era where we can actually feed information to ourselves very selectively. So we start to have huge blind spots. And I think as a great marketer or as a great brand strategist, you've actually got to identify the fact that you've got these blind spots and find ways to look around them so you can actually see what's going on. I get your point. It's kind of really understand your customer you need to spend some time with them and then we get stuck into a thinking that everyone sees from our perspective so the way that we filter through the problems that we're trying to solve must be the same as us but that's entirely incorrect and if we really want to differentiate ourselves as a brand and and speak the language of our customers we need to spend time with them and to understand them that's right i mean had you know that client spent some time with their customer they would have realized that it wasn't the man getting in the truck that was going to be making the insurance decisions and maybe they would have spent more time getting to know the women in the office and what their concerns are and and what their life looks like and so one of the things that i think 
is really exciting. We've just started 2020, starting a whole new <laughs> decade, and I'm, I'm super excited about that because I feel like we are finally now at a point in history where people who are brand strategists, people who are marketers, people who are creatives can actually use technology to better understand their audience in a way that they've never done previously. I mentioned to you earlier that I run a company called Quip Brands and we are a strategic brand agency, but I've recently gone into partnership with a data specialist and created a new company called Maven Intelligence. And Maven Intelligence uses AI to collate petabytes of language-based data so that we can actually build pictures of audience. We can understand their emotional desires. We can understand the things that are engaging them. We can find narratives that they love or or search the internet now for, for things that are connected to the brand or connected to the topic that really are making a difference to people's decision making. So I'm really excited to start the 2020s. I'm hoping that brands are going to be open to the possibilities of AI and, and what that can offer them. But as a creative, when you're building a brand or when you're creating a campaign, it's insight that is the most pivotal and powerful thing. You can never come to a brand with your own preconceived notion of who they should be or who their audience is. But if you've got the ability to gain valuable insight into who that audience is or where the brand should sit in terms of temperament and tone and style, that's just, you know, endless possibilities. It's really exciting. Absolutely. And for our audience that's not really tech savvy, can you tell us more about what exactly is this whole insight that's powered by AI and what does it look like? So you mentioned briefly before that it's able to capture kind of the emotions and the words that people use, but what does that actually mean? So the data that we're looking at is all the big data that is available on the internet freely. So nothing behind a paywall, nothing that is private data. This is so this is every news article that's published on on free sites, every blog, every social media account that's freely available and and open. What we can do is we can trawl through all of that and see what people are talking about. What are the search terms or the keywords that keep coming up and whether or not they're talking about those things in a positive context or a negative context. So do they like it? Is it important to them or do they not like it? We did a bit of an experiment uh, last year around the MasterChef judges. We wanted to kind of take a bit of a read and just see exactly what people were feeling about the situation beyond, you know, obviously there was a lot of news about one of the judges who had done the wrong thing by his staff and had underpaid them. And uh, naturally, I don't think you need data to assume that people wouldn't be very happy about that. But we were really interested to see what the thinking was behind the letting go of the three judges that had been the hallmark of that show for a long time. And also, you know, the names that were coming up, what people actually felt about them. And so, you know, we built this picture and it was really interesting because the only judge that essentially had strong emotional response was the judge who had found himself in in legal trouble, whereas the other two judges had a very, very mild response emotionally. So that told us that people actually weren't deeply engaging with those judges. So it's possible that then from a, a creative hiring perspective, maybe they don't have the audience pool. And the other really interesting thing was when we put the five top names that the media was talking about into, you know, our search terms to find who do people love, who do people want to see in these positions, 
again, four of the names that we put in had a really mild response. Some was mild negative, some was mild positive, but there wasn't a deep engagement there. So, you know, if we were to recommend casting, we would say, don't go there. But there was one name. I won't mention it, but there was one name who was really deeply engaging and really positive, which tells you that they've got an established audience of people that are actually actively talking about them and engaging with their material in a really positive way. So, I mean, as a strategist, think about that. It does sound really revolutionary, especially from kind of a business owner perspective, because no more do we have to kind of rely on these arbitrary surveys to question our customers. So, hey, you, what do you think about this product and what's your opinion? If you, if you were to rate it on a scale of one to 10 and it, it does away with all of that arbitrariness, all of the kind of, you know, people don't know what they want and directly analyzes, okay, what is their behavior and uses it to tell the story? Absolutely. And I mean, Maven Intelligence was really founded on, um, I suppose, a frustration with research and a frustration with traditional research in surveys because there's papers written on this, but the bias that comes out and, you know, people will tell you what they think that you want to hear. And the wonderful thing about AI and, and, you know, just going through and mining all of this language data is that people are actually saying these things because they choose to say Mm. it themselves. There's an autonomy to it. Rather than being asked, they're actually telling you what they want. They're telling you what they like. And now we've got a mechanism that we can actually bring all of that together so it's, it's digestible and understandable. You know, surveys are flawed for many reasons, but it's really frustrating from a brand's perspective when you just don't know what you don't know. So there could be something out there that that your consumer is so into and hungering (laughs) for and and you just don't know. Or it could be that if you looked at your own brand, maybe people really love your sense of humor and yet you're really focused on becoming more serious because you feel that that's what the market's demanding of you. But, you know, your consumers love that about you. So Mm. with this tool, we can really measure the sentiment and the ideas and, you know, how people are engaging with your brand so that you can be really strategic because ultimately that's what we want to be. You know, it's highly competitive markets now. The advent of digital technologies has made advertising available to everyone. You know, any company can afford an ad campaign on Facebook, for example. But, you know, it's cutting through the noise has become so much harder because there's just so much more noise out there and so many more competitors. And, you know, technology has enabled people to be able to start startups very quickly. So, Mm. you know, these challenger brands are just popping up everywhere, which means that in order for you to keep your audience and to keep engaging with them, you've really got to stay on the pulse of what people care about and how they perceive you. Branding is not something you can force on anyone because it does go deep and it does go personal often inside the very kind of inner workings of a company. So Kiva, thank you so much for being a guest at the Genesis of Startups. It was incredibly valuable having you talk about brands, why brand is important and how companies in the 21st century develop their brand identity. To our listeners, I hope you found it incredibly valuable. If you'd like to learn more about the Genesis of Startups or Kiva, drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter. Until next time. Oh,